Our first reading is the first four verses of the Gospel of Luke. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were witnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. This is the word of the Lord. Second reading is from Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Today we are beginning our sermon series on the book of Acts. Acts, the book of Acts, has been called many things. The Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Early Church, just Acts. But the one I've decided to settle on for this new sermon series, and one which has been used by quite a few commentators over the years of this book, is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And in a moment, we'll start seeing why. Incidentally, I attended the youth group on Friday evening, which was great fun. It was really pleasant. We had a barbecue in the rain. It turns out the youth don't mind having a barbecue in the rain. Um, I fell off Shanika's hoverboard. Teach me to try doing something (laughs) I perhaps shouldn't be doing. Um, Luckily, only dented pride. Um, But when it came to the Bible study, we we, we turned to Acts chapter 2. And I thought, oh, the youth are ahead of us. They've got a head start on us. But actually, it turned out they were doing a teaching series on the grace of God rather than looking at a particular book. And it was pure coincidence that they were in the beginning of Acts. But I was really impressed by how much the youth knew and understood um, about what we were reading. But before we dive into Acts itself, I'd like to start by putting the book of Acts in context And one of the tools I find really useful is this slide showing the broad sweep of God's purposes being worked out in the world from the beginning right to the end. And it begins with creation. First, God creates in Genesis 1 and 2. And the peak of his creation is humanity. But in Genesis 3 comes the fall, when the first human beings Sin, when the first human beings rebel against God and disobey God and sin enters the world. And God's response to that is to call a special people, 
And he gives them a kind of code for life called the law, which if his people will follow, they will be his witnesses to the rest of the world of how to live a God-honouring life. And he calls these people Israel. And much of the rest of the Old Testament is a story of the history of Israel. But as many of you may know, the story of Israel documented throughout the Old Testament, is one of disobedience to God, it's one of idol worship, general rebellion against God, and long story short, by the time we reach the beginning of the first century, God himself enters the arena in the person of Jesus Christ. He preaches a gospel of love and then dies on the cross carrying the sins of the world and is raised to new life that first Easter to win salvation to all who put their trust in him. And that is documented, as Joe referred to earlier, in the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels themselves. But as Jesus prepares to leave the world, he instructs his disciples in what they should do to continue his ministry on earth. And this is where the book of Acts begins. The Spirit falls on all the disciples at Pentecost. 3,000 people come to faith in one day, and the church is born. And Acts goes on to describe the growth and the spread of the gospel from that point on. And this period is often called the Age of the Spirit, as the Holy Spirit is promised and given to all believers. This is the period of time in which we live the age of the spirit. And a major aim of this preaching series will be to learn what it means to live in the age of the spirit, to lead fruitful Christian lives in a more and more fruitful Christian community in the power of the spirit. Does that sound good? Okay. However, there is one way in which saying that we live in the age of the spirit is slightly misleading. Because actually there has never been a time when God's Holy Spirit has not been at work in one way or the other. And I think it's important to have a brief look at what I mean by that. So this is where I'm going to ask you to pick up your Bible and turn to the very first page of the Bible. It's, um, for some reason, the Bible starts on page three, but there you go. It's page three, Genesis chapter one and verse one. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So God's Spirit is right there at creation. A creative Spirit involved in creation itself. And then, as we go on through the Old Testament... We find that particular people, particular individuals, are given the Spirit of God. They're anointed with the Spirit of God at particular times for God's special purposes. Let's look at one example now. Turn forward uh, 248 pages, or anyway, to page 248. And it's in the book of Judges. And we're going to look at a fellow called Gideon. So it's page 248, and we're going to look at verse 14. But the background of this is this, that Israel is under threat of attack by their enemies, the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon 
to appoint him as the leader who's going to save Israel against their enemies. So reading from verse 14 on page 248, it says, The Lord turned to him, that's Gideon, and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not telling you? Look at Gideon's response. I love it. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my families. In other words, sorry God, you've got the wrong guy. What's going on? Well, Gideon is terrified. He wants out. Choose someone else, not me. I don't want to do this. Wonder how often we feel like that. But see what happens when God anoints him with the Holy Spirit. Look across to the right, verse 33 and verse 34. This happens a little later, verse 33. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. This is the enemy coming towards Israel, approaching Israel to go to war. Verse 34. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abyssinites to follow him. And long story short, Gideon leads the Israelites in battle courageously and defeats his enemy, the Midianites. Gideon is transformed by the Holy Spirit from being a terrified coward into being a brave warrior. And you know, since coming to faith 20 years ago, I have often found when I'm feeling afraid, when I'm feeling worried, when I'm feeling not very courageous, that if I pray to God and ask him for the the help of his Holy Spirit, that he gives me that courage to do something that otherwise I wouldn't have had the courage to do it. I wonder how many people here, put your hand up if you think you're one of those people who are afraid of public speaking. (laughs) If I were to say, come up here now and (laughs) okay, Uh, quite a few of us. I I think it's meant to be one of the most common fears actually. Let's look, turn on a bit and look at someone else who was changed by the power of the Spirit. Page 749. Because what happened was, was that God raised up prophets to bring God's word to the people. And we're going to look at the prophet Isaiah. It's on page 749 and it's the beginning of chapter 61. So God raised up prophets... To bring God's word to his people. And you know, Isaiah too had been quite a reluctant spokesperson for God, saying things like, Woe to me, one of unclean lips. In other words, I'm not fit to be your messenger. But in chapter 61, verse 1, look what Isaiah says The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. He's been anointed with the Holy Spirit. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. The Spirit has given Isaiah the boldness and the ability to tell others how to be free of oppression. Many years ago when I was perhaps a bit, first a person of faith, and I was a bit scared to admit I was a Christian in the workplace where I worked, God gave me the courage one day, after a big prayer to him, to call the whole office staff together into the middle of this big open plan office and pray for a staff member who was dangerously ill. And do you know what? That moment changed the whole culture of that office from that day onwards. 
It was extraordinary. The, the, the culture became so much warmer and more loving towards one another. Just that act of prayer in the middle of, of the office. And yesterday, we, yesterday we, you heard we had the men's breakfast. And we had Steve Prince, who, all, all, although he's also a pastor of a church, he's the chaplain to Reading Football Club. And he told us um, how significant the culture at the football club is to the, well-running, to the well-running of the club. That when, when everybody is treated well and respected, and w- whether it's the most expensive football player or whether it's the cleaning lady or the person bringing the tea or whatever it is, which is something that the chaplaincy promotes strongly as, as, as much as it can, that the whole atmosphere in the club changes. And every Friday, they, there's a prayer meeting at, at uh, Reading Football Club where they pray for the club and for, for the various needs that it has. Uh, but because of different leadership changes, there are times when the chaplaincy is somewhat sidelined and often the culture then sort of dives. But when the culture's good, the whole club runs so much better. It was really fascinating listening to Steve yesterday. I don't know if you remember last week, while we're in Isaiah, I don't know if you remember last week, but we looked at a prophecy from Isaiah. We won't actually turn to it now because probably we don't have time. But it's from Isaiah 53. And in that, Isaiah prophesied the exact nature of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, which came true 700 years later. And now we're going to turn to one more prophecy in the Old Testament. This is the last verse we'll turn to in the Old Testament. It's on page 914. And we're going to look at what the Spirit does what Joel says about what the Spirit is going to do. So it's page 914, the prophet Joel, and we're going to look at verses 28 um, and 29. This is um, the prophet Joel speaking God's words to the people of Israel. And afterwards, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. We've seen, haven't we, how the Spirit comes upon individual people at specific times for God's special purposes. But here, Joel predicts a time in the future when God will pour out his Spirit on all believers. And in a few weeks' time, we'll be looking at the fulfilment of that prophecy at Pentecost, documented in Acts chapter 2. Now, of course, the scriptures also prophesy a time in the future when Jesus will return and all those who've put their trust in Jesus will be raised from death to life in eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, that one hasn't come yet because Jesus hasn't yet returned. But given the track record of the prophets to date, which is extremely good, I have no doubt that that is a very real future event. So we've seen in the Old Testament the Spirit working in the lives of individuals, but that's only a foretaste of what's to come. Because with the imminent arrival of the baby Jesus into the world, as we turn to the New Testament, the Spirit's activity increases significantly. So let's turn to Luke chapter 1, which is on page 1025. We've seen the Spirit at work all the way through the Old Testament, but... The Spirit's activity increases significantly in the New Testament. Luke chapter 1 on page 1025. As the birth of Jesus approaches, 
God's messengers, the angels, start appearing to people and telling them what's going to happen. We're going to read from verse 14, and here the angel is telling Zechariah that he's going to have a son and who will become John the Baptist. Verses 14 and 15. He, that's the baby you're going to have, will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. So please turn over to the next page, to verse 35, which is on the left-hand column. And this is where the angel is telling Mary that she's going to become a mum. Mary has asked the angel, how's this going to happen since I'm a virgin, which is a very good question. And the angel says in verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now look down to verse 41. This is when Mary goes to meet her cousin Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in the womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then look across to verse 67, where it says Zechariah's song. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Do you see what's happening? Everyone concerned in the coming of Jesus is being filled with the Holy Spirit. The the activity of the Holy Spirit is increasing and increasing. And then turn over the page to chapter 3 and verse 21. This is Jesus' baptism. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. And then turn over one more time to chapter 4, verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14. It's the top of page 1031. And you'll see that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that now empowers all his ministry. The healings, the miracles, the preaching, the teaching... So all through the entire sweep of God's action in the world, we have seen the Holy Spirit present from creation through the whole period of Israel empowering particular people for special purposes, through the prophets who prophesied the coming of Jesus, dying on the cross, and prophesied the outpouring of the Spirit. And in the same way that the Holy Spirit conceives the life of Jesus in the womb of Mary, we will see that it's the same Holy Spirit who conceives the life of the church in the book of Acts. So let's turn there now to Acts chapter 1 on page 1092. And I'm just going to make a few points. In this introductory session, I'm just going to make a few points about this book that we're going to be studying, the book of Acts. Firstly... Acts, as Joe told us in the family time, is not a book that stands on its own. And I'm sure you'll have begun to understand, it's a sequel. The first two verses say this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So he begins, the first words are, in my former book. So this is the second book of a sequel. And 
The first book is the book of Luke. Turn to turn back uh, just for a second. Keep your hand, keep your finger in Acts, but turn back to the beginning of Luke again, and look at the first few verses of Luke chapter one. It says, "Many have undertaken." Sorry, that's on page one o two five. One o two five. Luke chapter 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke says he's writing an orderly account given to him by eyewitnesses. And who's he sending it to? Someone called Theophilus. And then turn forward again back to Acts chapter 1. Who is he writing to? Theophilus. Acts is the sequel to Luke. In fact, it's really one continuous narrative. And what that means is that we could really modify the title that we've got here of this sermon series, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And we could say that it's the continuing Acts of the Holy Spirit. But having said that, we could qualify it again. Because what does that first verse in Acts say? It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all that Jesus began to do and teach up until his ascension. So that means that the gospel of Luke is only the beginning of what Jesus started to do. That means that Acts is actually the continuation of what Jesus is doing. How's that? By the Holy Spirit. So it's the continuing Acts of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And we know this to be true because if you turn back Five pages to John sixteen thirteen. Stay with me. Go with me. Uh, turn back five pages to John chapter sixteen. I'm going to look at just briefly at verses thirteen and fourteen, because this is how this is Jesus explaining the fact that this is exactly what he's going to do. He's, he's going to go away to. He's going to be in heaven with his heavenly Father, but he's going to send his Spirit. But all the Spirit does is what Jesus tells the Spirit to do. So verse 13, Jesus is speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper and he says, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me, that's Jesus, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. In other words... Everything that the Holy Spirit does is the work of Jesus. But we know that the book of Acts is also the story of the early church, isn't it? It's about how Jesus continues to act in the lives of believers. And so the final uh, title, if you like, long title could be, that it's the continuing acts of Jesus by the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. Does that make sense? Is that 
I haven't lost you? <laughs> okay, good. Now, the exciting thing about this, and Joe alluded to this in the family time, is that because the period of God's, because the period of God's dealings with the world that we call the church or the age of the spirit is still going on now, it means that until Jesus returns, we are actors, we are participants in this great story of God's redemption. Incidentally, there could be one or two people here thinking, well, why hasn't Jesus returned long ago and wound up this period of time and taken the righteous to be with him in heaven? Why, why haven't we got to Jesus' returns yet? And the reason is this, and it's nothing other than the love and the grace of God. For you, for me, for every human being on the planet. Because this period of time that we're in, when Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven, reigning from heaven through the power of the Holy Spirit, this period is because Peter explains in 2 Peter 3.9, I won't get you to turn there, probably not time to turn there, but I'll read for you. Peter explains, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's how much Jesus loves the world. And the wonderful news is that God has given us his Holy Spirit to equip us and lead us to play our part in seeing his kingdom come on earth as in heaven. The fact is that this period of time is to allow as many people as possible to come to know the love and the grace of God. We don't know when Jesus will return. Sometime in the future. We have no idea. Could be tomorrow. Could be another thousand years. We have no idea. But in the meantime, he's given us his spirit to live our Christian lives. Now the danger is that we can quite often blunder ahead in our lives, thinking that we can just put into action anything that occurs to us, anything that perhaps seems good and occurs to us. But the book of Acts would actually warn us to be a bit less hasty, to pray for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and to find our calling and our strength from him. And it's my prayer that over the coming weeks and months we will learn from the acts of the Holy Spirit how to do just that. I want to finish by reading, I love this, it's a, it's a stirring challenge by one of the biblical commentators who wrote a commentary on acts uh, and who called it the acts of the Holy Spirit, Arthur T. Pearson. And he wrote this in 1895. Um, So it's a little bit old-fashioned words, but he says, Church of Christ, the records of these acts of the Holy Spirit have never reached completeness. This is the one book which has no proper end because it waits for new chapters to be added so fast and so far as the people of God shall reinstate the blessed Spirit in his holy seat of control. I love that. I would love for my life to be completely in with the Holy Spirit in his holy seat of control because then I wouldn't go wrong, would I? Of course we never get it perfect. But my prayer for the church is that that's what we're going to learn to do over the weeks and months as we look at the book of Acts more and more is to be praying for the Holy Spirit to be 
leading and guiding us as individuals, but also as a church in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.